we all arrived at 2 p.m. on the Wednesday, wrote 10 tracks, and then came back Thursday and recorded them all. And then on Friday, we played them at the private party. Behind every favorite artist, song, or lyric is a story you've never heard. In Voices Behind the Music, we go much deeper than the frontman you hear on the album or the guitarist you see on stage. People from all aspects of the music industry work together to make the business what it is and are often some of the busiest but nicest, funniest, and smartest people out there. I'm Jeff Yasuda, CEO at Feed Media Group, the creators behind the leading B2B music licensing platform. Join me as I sit down with some of my favorite voices behind the music to hear their insider stories about what makes the music industry so exciting. All right, everybody. Today I'm here with the Eddie Roberts, guitarist, producer, songwriter, label, and studio owner. By day, Eddie runs Color Red, which is a soul, funk, R&B, and anything vibey, retro, and cool label out of Denver, Colorado. By night, he is the frontman of the New Master Sounds, which I would argue is one of the most important funk bands on the scene today. Eddie is also involved with giving back to communities as well with the payback and Compass Family Services, where I actually had a chance to jam with them many, many years ago. But most importantly, he is a dear friend and laughs at my jokes. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> Great to have you on the show as our debut guest. So thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell me, for starters, you've been working on Color Red now for, I guess, a couple of years, right? It was officially three years on August 28th. That was the launch date. And we literally have put out music every week since August 2018. I love it. I love it. And so let's go back a couple of years and talk a little bit about this transition or kind of this movement from purely a performer, a musician to more of a producer, label owner, and kind of what was the thinking behind creating Color Red? It wasn't a massive transition because I actually was involved in running a label back in the mid-90s. I don't know if you remember, Jeff, you know, the story of kind of where I came from with the Master Sounds. It was, we were playing in clubs and kind of promoting these club nights. And there was a side part of that that we ran a record label called Cooker Records. So I was the office junior, really, and I got a good handle on it. And then, you know, I started releasing music and understanding the whole kind of publishing side. And, you know, back then we had to handwrite the submissions. When you wrote a song and you wanted to put it into the PRO, which is PRS in the UK. And by the way, PRO stands for Performing Rights Organization. Each country has a PRO and they're responsible for collecting royalties for things like radio play, TV broadcast, things like that. On behalf of the songwriters. On behalf of the songwriters, yeah. So you you join the PRO. In the UK's case, that's PRS, Performing Rights Society, that's the name of it. America is ASCAM. I don't know what they stand for. And, you know, it's a bunch yeah, of there's four, four in the US, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR. So I remember it was, you know, like carbon copy paper. So there'd be a a yellow one, a pink one, and something else. And you'd send one into the PRO and then 
you keep one yourself. And I don't know what you did with the third one, but you know, maybe you give it to the label or something like that. But yeah, so I kind of got into that whole thing of making sure that everything was registered. And and then a few years later, I ended up doing a, a publishing deal. So, you know, I kind of knew that side of things. I'd been producing music and Master Sound started in 99, but I'd already released maybe two albums before that. So, you know, it was kind of understanding the production side of things, a little bit of the label side of things and the publishing side of things. And so that is a history since the mid 90s, really. And then really the, the live side of things took off more than anything else. And we started playing in the U.S. in 2004. I think we played San Francisco for the first time in 2005 at the Boom Boom Room, no less. Yes, yes. And, uh, <laughs> the legendary. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, the Masters really kind of started blowing up in the U.S. And eventually in 2010, I moved over. The other guys are still in Europe, but I, I moved over. And I was also managing the band, you know, the band leader and, and producing the records and everything as well. So fast forward to, I guess, around 2016, 17. And, you know, at this point, we'd, I'd been on the road nearly 25 years or something and still had a nice, strong kind of publishing catalog and, and, and recording catalog but realized that in 25 years i'd only managed to write about 300 songs and i started getting some success on some of those songs but i thought well what if i organized a catalog of thousands of songs and then used right. the same connections and the same kind of ethos behind it so that was one of the ideas of why i wanted to start color red we like to think of it as a music discovery platform. So, you know, funk, soul, jazz, but we're trying to be broader than that. Be non-genre specific, but we do like soul and kind of funk within that. But brought all the gear up here and acquired a studio space January 2018 and made our first recording in March. And then we just started cranking out music out of the studio, out of you know, significant rate that we could actually start then releasing music every week. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, uh, I look forward to the, the weekly uh, emails and, and the music that you guys are putting out. How many bands have you guys gotten in to uh, record there now? I don't even think I could put a number on that, maybe 200. It's an active studio, it sounds. And, you know, and on that note, with COVID, I mean, what have you been doing? Have you been writing a lot? I mean, we really focused on kind of getting the whole releasing process together. And actually, we started pressing a lot of vinyl. Quite a few people said to me, you know, I have X amount set aside for tickets for the year. And I still want music. So, I, you know, do you have any vinyl? And so that the whole vinyl thing kind of blew up. And we actually started a vinyl club last summer, summer of 2020. Because so many people were asking us for vinyl. So we decided to repress a lot of albums from my scene from the kind of mid-90s, early 2000s that, have, that haven't been available for a long time. Like the first Master Sounds record, things like that. And yeah, and it is interesting, right? I mean, vinyl has really taken off. What is it about vinyl you think that has its, its allure? Is it retro? My personal take on it, and it's not really about the sound. It's more about, I mean, it's a tangible thing. It's not like a, a download or a stream. You know, you're holding the sleeve in your hands. You see the artwork and nice full 12 inch by 12 inch piece of heavy vinyl that you put on, on your record player. But most importantly, you can only fit, I think, a maximum of 22 minutes aside. And a lot of records run between more like 15 and 18 minutes aside. Mm -hmm. And you think about the attention span of the listener, right? You put the record on, it runs for 18 minutes and then stops. And you have to get out of your seat, get up, turn the thing over, and then your attention span starts from the start again. 
It's like a refresh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you remember when CDs first came out and they were like a hundred minutes? But you only <laughs> you only remembered the first three tracks. Right. You know, it's like, and right. then you'd fall asleep, and then you know there'd be that mystery track at the end. There'd be a bunch of space. And <laughs> right. Three o'clock in the morning, suddenly there's this track comes <laughs> right. on. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Right, right. And there's a lot of nostalgia too, as I kind of think back to the oh, days when. There were these crazy things called record stores, right? Where you'd walk in and you'd actually browse through. And yeah. you know, my son's twenty-one, and by the time he was experiencing music, there was already streaming. And then to be introduced to records, and then go, oh wow, you know, he loves it. He spends all his spare money on records. He, he's a big collector. A lot of his generation are turning into that. This is a new way of experiencing music, is what they're thinking. <laughs> well, well, so yeah. let, and let's talk about you know the way you and I and others have listened to music in, in the good old days, right? And you know, I know that you're a huge Grant Green fan, and but let's talk about some of your influences as well when you were a young guitarist. My formative years of music learning and listening was in Wales, and my brother is two years older than me. He had a paper round, so he had cash, and he he went to the record store every weekend and chose a record and he, he brought it back and we both listened to it and that's pretty much how I heard music for the first time and we were kind of into a, a bunch of stuff but I was really I really liked Black Sabbath you know that was like kind of on the rock side what yeah really I, I love Sabbath I've been talking with this organ player Chris Spees we're gonna what? do we're, get, we're gonna do jazz Sabbath no, that is that. Okay, yeah. that blows my mind. I thought you were kind of a jazz purist, and no, I mean, wow. I, I, at the same time, though, I was listening to that and Hendrix. So you're reading sleeve notes on a Black Sabbath record, and it's talking about blues and jazz, and you're like, what are these words? What do they mean? So you start going down the rabbit hole, say jazz, okay. And I remember my brother literally going to the record store, going to the jazz section. He's gonna, I'm gonna try this out you know <laughs> and he saw two names that he'd heard charlie parker and john coltrane mm -hmm. he bought two records it couldn't be poles apart one was yep. from the late 40s one was from, from late 60s and that that was our first intro to jazz i was probably about 14 or 15 at that point already been playing guitar then for about i said well i started at 10 years old and then I, I went to music school which is like a jazz school and also there was this thriving club scene of the kind of acid jazz movement of the time sure. this is you know i went there in 89 so like beginning early 90s so these are the days of like corduroy and brand new heavies you know sort of but there was like the clubs we were listening to the original stuff like jimmy smith and grand green and the djs started making compilation cassettes for me because they heard me play i remember doing a gig there and they were like oh you should check this guy out. you should check this guy out so they started giving me these compilation tapes on our side of the pond we call them mixtapes but go ahead mixtapes yeah all right <laughs> compilation cassettes compilation. <laughs> sorry sorry uh, yeah, that's a funny one. So yeah, that kind of really introduced me to the whole kind of groove, kind of funk side of jazz. And then started writing original music in that vein. Right. And so was Simon kind of the first member of the New Master Sounds that you connected with? We had a band called The Master Sounds, and it was me and Simon, two other guys. So I saw this album cover, and it said The Master Sounds. And I was like, I thought that was the name of the record. And... Years later, I found out it was the name of the band. And I was like, oh, that's a great name of a band. It is. So, yeah. so, so it became the New Master so, Sounds. Yeah. No, no, the, it became the New Master Sounds because we had a hiatus for a year. And then we got two other guys, which was Pete and Bob. 
And then we call it the new master sound to differentiate between the band that we've been running for a couple of years before that. So it wasn't until years later I found out about the band, the master sounds. I can't remember who said this, Eddie, but every project that you are involved with has the word sounds. If it's Eddie Roberts West Coast sounds, or obviously the new master sounds. I think it was you that noticed it and said it. And I I said, oh, I'm glad someone's paying attention. Yes, well, but but you're working on new stuff now. You know, obviously the legendary Grey Boy All-Stars, a little birdie has told me that you were recording at the Hyde Street Studios here in San Francisco with kind of the original members. What's going on there? What are you working on? And whatever you can share yeah, would be awesome. I mean, you know, it was just fortuitous, really. I got asked to do a private party in San Francisco, and I contacted Robert Walter, who's the organ player. And and, and FYI, the Grey Boy All-Stars, their first show in the UK was in 95. And my organ trio at the time, the Three Deuces, opened for the Grey Boys Oh, wow. Back in 95. So I met those guys. And, they, and it was funny because they thought they were the only people on the planet playing that kind of funk boogaloo. <laughs> and, then they, and they show up in Leeds of all places and, right. and we're like sound checking. And they were like, what the hell? <laughs> like, we thought we were the only ones doing this. You know? <laughs> so I kind of met them back then. And I didn't actually see them again until, funnily enough, the, the first show the master sounds did in america was opening for the gray boy all-stars at the house of blues in chicago in 2004 and i remember walking on stage and robert and i think mike andrews the guitar player turn around and go oh my god it's that guy from leeds yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i asked to do this private party and i asked robert and then he suggested the gray boys bass player and then i was like well, do you think the original drummer would do it? And he hasn't played in the band for about 15 years now. Wow. And I was like, I don't know, ask him. Let's let's hit him up. And he was like, absolutely, I'm in. Wow. And the joke was, this is the, the 26th year anniversary of the band that never was. Right. Because, right. you know, way back then, we like, right. oh, we should, we should play together sometime. Right. And then never did. <laughs> you know. So the host of the party in San Francisco caught wind of what the lineup was going to be. And I was trying to keep it from him. And... I was really excited about it. And then he caught wind of it and he's like, wow, is this the first time you guys have ever played together? I was like, yeah. He said, well, why don't we record it? Would you be into coming in a couple of days early and and making an album? So that's that's what happened in Hyde Street Studios. We all arrived at like 2 p.m. on the Wednesday, wrote 10 tracks and then came back Thursday and recorded them all. (laughs) And then on Friday, we played them at the private party. So, bananas uh, we can't wait to hear it are you guys going to release it on color red or what yes is the... yes for sure and we actually have so i kind of realized about a month ago that i wasn't going to be able to get the master sounds into the u.s right because of i mean there's a, a ban on most of europe but definitely britain they can't enter the u.s so i realized that i wasn't going to be able to do this planned tour in october with the master sounds we'd already planned to do this album with the with the gray boy guys so i was just like well, let's see if they want that instead. Yeah, well, we can't wait to hear it. Hopefully things will open up and you'll have a chance to get out and tour. Well, so a, an interesting thing with Master Sounds, this is kind of brand new, hot off the press. So I'm currently involved in building a studio on the north coast of Iceland. What? <laughs> yeah, of all places. And, wow. And yeah, state of the art, kind of both analog and digital. And the first band that we're going to record there is going to be the Master Sounds in November. 
because Iceland is one of the only places the Brits can go and Americans can go. So it just so interesting. But yeah, it's kind of a big project that I'm involved in, and uh, we're going to be doing some exciting records out there. Is this Color Red Iceland? It's part of the Color Red thing. I think the studio is going to be called Floki Studios, which is the, the literally the piece of land where it is. I mean, right. it's literally on the on the north coast of Iceland, looking at the Arctic Circle. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope I get the invitation. So, yeah. A couple sort of fun wrap-up questions. So what was your first album? <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, you lie. Come on. Well, yeah. I actually think it was a Gary Newman record, bizarrely, in about 1977. Or, you know, or it might have been this K-Tel compilation of disco. K-Tel. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm not sure which one came first because it was literally, I was like six or seven years old. And I don't yeah. you know. There was a sports store, like, you know, where you went and bought your footballs and your, and your trainers. And your, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I'm just clarifying that. Like, you probably call it something different here. Uh, we, we, we were, we say, a sports shop. We would call it a sports shop. <laughs> An apparel store. Or, or, or apparel, you say, isn't it? We all say everything. We all, yes. it's such a mess. It's, uh, my wife and I, my wife's American, and, and every day, there's a different word. She's like, oh my God, you say it like that? Like, you know, I was like, yeah, well, how do you say it? You know, uh, it like, happens all the time. So yeah, so, so there was a sports shop in the local village where I lived. And for some reason, there was a rack of vinyl in there as well. And I remember buying this disco record. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Okay, favorite show that you performed in as a band? I mean, definitely a musical highlight was this band that was called The Foundation of Funk, which was basically Zigaboo, Middle East, on drums from the Meters, George Porter Jr. from the bass player of the Meters, John Medeski from Martin Medeski Wood. Wow, okay. And myself on guitar playing Meters tunes, and we did a, a run of three nights. Holy smokes, where was that? It was actually in Colorado. Amazing. Okay. Starstruck moments. I mean, any of those guys, right? But, you know, have you truly been a full-on fan dork? I have a funny one, which was Ernest Wrangling. Ernest Wrangling is basically the West Montgomery of Jamaica. He apparently taught Bob Marley to play the guitar. And I actually, do you remember when I moved into the spot in the Tenderloin? I do. I moved in on the Friday, and on Saturday night, I got invited to go to the Great American Music Hall, which was half a block from my house, and play with Ernest on his 80th birthday. Whoa. And, and the backing band was vinyl. Do you remember vinyl? Well, of course. Yeah. Wow. But the great thing was, and he's, he's just such a beast of guitar player, and he's 80, and he was tearing it up. And I got on stage, you know, and he's stage left, and the other guitar player's stage right. And I get on stage, and I was like, I didn't get on stage to be the other side of the stage, Ernest. So I kind of like pull the cable and like, you know, and walk over to Ernest and say, all right, man, let's play. And he just burnt me. He just <laughs> absolutely killed me. And he like kind of gave me like 12 bars to play. And then he cut me off and gave it to the sax player and then took it all the way around the band and then took like a 10 minute solo right in my face. And then went, give it up for Eddie Roberts. And I had to walk off. It was perfect. Golf clap. Oh, it was it was so perfect. But I I gotta say I haven't played the same since. I learned so much standing right next to him, and the way how fluid he was, and 
just the pure expression of how he was playing. You know, there was no thought process involved. You know, he yeah. wasn't thinking about what he was doing. He was just, it was just pouring out of him. And that was probably the best lesson I've ever had. It was fun getting burnt by Ernest Wrangling. But I deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> so pre-show, we all get pre-show jitters, pre-performance jitters. What do you do? How do you calm yourself? I get really tired before playing. You're basically suppressing the adrenaline and it kind of puts you in a bit of a lethargic state. And then right. the moment you walk on stage, you lift the lid and boom, the adrenaline hits and then and you're away. But I've I noticed that that it's I just I just get really tired before I'm playing and kind of yawning and the hardest thing is having a deep conversation with someone before you know someone comes in the green room and they start trying to ask you questions yeah. and you just whoa whoa I can't I can't deal with that right now <laughs> no it's fine it's fine Jeff you 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 always bring wine so you can <laughs> yes. you can do whatever you want well um, well and let's talk about that right I mean so there's a story of Chick Korea firing a member of his band because he had a beer before the show you know do you have a view on booze in advance of a performance sure i mean to be honest i do play my best if i'm 100 percent sober <laughs> but you know it's sometimes it's fun to have a glass of wine before you play as well you know it's like it's just different and certainly getting inebriated is not a good idea i always just think as long as you're not relying on it, as long as you're like not saying, Oh, I have to have a glass of wine before I play. Right. Then that's a that's a bad that's a bad move. If it's like, you know, I can have a glass of wine or I cannot have a glass of wine. As long as you're not relying on it, then I don't think it matters that much. Right. So you don't have to go all Hemingway to perform. Well, unless it's Chateau Neuf du Pop. Right? Yeah. So, but in any event, Eddie, thank you so much for for joining us. As always, a pleasure chatting and getting caught up. Thanks so much, pal. Thanks for listening to Voices Behind the Music, a Growth Network podcast production presented by Feed Media Group. We're on a mission to make it easy, fast, and legal for businesses to use music to power the most engaging customer experiences. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours and learn more about us at feedmediagroup.com.